0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kreatokia podcast. My name is Videl, and I'm the Global Head of Audio at Bookwire. This is a new podcast about digital publishing through the lens of NFTs, crypto, and blockchain, where every week we dive into this new and fast-moving world, looking at how authors and publishers can take their first steps in creating digital originals and NFTs. So today, I'm joined by my two dear colleagues and former guests and regular contributors, uh, Carsten and Chris. Hello, guys. Hi, good evening. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Fine. Everyone doing well? This is actually our final episode of this this series. It's not the final. And and looking
1: forward to the next season.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And maybe we'll remind people at the end, but just to mention at the beginning. Um, And um, I think, well... We have, as always, we have, you know, have been really impressed and really so excited to have so many different kinds of guests. And this week, yet again, we have someone very, very interesting. And uh, I think maybe we should just start and introduce him, right? Yeah. Let's do that. So, without further ado, let's welcome today's guest, uh, who is Elf. Hello, Elf. Hello, nice to be here. Really nice to have you. Welcome, welcome. So... We are going to th- talk about many things, but I think one of the things that uh, we're kind of fascinated to talk to you about, of course, is what you've been doing around the NFT world. Um, you, you have a background as a, as an artist. Um, I believe you even began as an oil painter and now you're in, in the NFT world, which I love that kind of, uh, you know, that path. Um, and we want to talk about I mean, decentralization as well and the role of that that's going to play in in kind of in in media and all of that. But I think before we um, bombard you with questions, I mean, my first question is just, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you really came into the NFT scene.
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh, I've kind of been an artist all my life, mostly a traditional artist, Uh, worked a lot with oil paints and traditional materials. And then around, I don't know, maybe around the age of 25, I think, I went to animation school at CalArts.
0: Which is in California, right? Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, and so I started learning about animation, and then I started really getting into uh, computer animation. I thought that computer animation was really interesting because it was more of an unexplored frontier. And I I thought it was really cool that you could also use those skills for many other things like video games. And I thought video games were also more of an unexplored frontier. You know, a lot of the students at CalArts were very interested in 2D animation, which I definitely was too. But it just, I don't know, I I, I was just, it just seemed like computer animation just had a lot more uh, exploration in front of it. So. So yeah, I, uh, I studied Maya. Uh, you know, it's, you know, a program like that has a really steep learning curve. So it took a long time to just get the basics down. And then interestingly enough, my third year at Cal Arts, I saw a flyer on the wall that said, programmer looking for artist to make iPhone apps with. And fast forward, that flyer was actually put on the wall by Dota, who is the uh, solidity dev who I work with to this very day on this wizards project. That was about ten years ago.
1: and was it directing to the Forgotten runes or was it a complete different project?
2: Different no, no, it's to- something totally different. This was ten years ago. this was really before blockchain was a, was a you know a, the thing that it is now. No, he was just looking for somebody to make iPhone games with because the uh, the iPhone app store was fairly new. And so yeah, so he and I met uh, through a flyer on the wall and we started making games and we weren't very good at it and we didn't really know what we were doing. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, so I started making iPhone games and then I'll just fast forward through the rest. After that, I worked at a uh, studio. The only content they made was for YouTube. And at the time, that was a very uh, unique thing because every other studio in Hollywood was obviously making content for film or TV. Um, And so this studio was only doing YouTube. So at the time, that was really unique and innovative. Then I started getting into uh, VR a few years later. I made uh, a three-episode miniseries for Google's Daydream. And then, yeah, fast forward a little bit more and I started getting really into crypto and NFTs, you know, like any other artist, I, I started out in NFTs, just minting my own artwork, just, you know, sort of learning the ropes and uh, seeing what it was all about. And then uh, Dota, after, you know, after a few months of me minting my own work, Dota contacted me and said he wanted to do a 10K collection. And so here we are. That's that's the story. <laughs>
1: what has been your your first nft when you say you you have started with uh, minting your first own um, yeah images
2: yeah so i was making digital art for a long time but i was just uploading it to instagram and tumblr and so i had a lot of a lot of digital artwork already i didn't want to just like reuse it for nfts so i reworked a lot of it gave it a fresh coat of paint if you will and yeah so i just i just sort of reworked a lot of my older work and then started creating new work as well you know and funnily enough i uh when, when i start when i first started making nfts i was still fascinated with the idea of world building and I, I think i even put on my uh my bio on rarible something about creating a legendarium
1: yeah that was a good question in my mind with your first nfts whether these has been connected with whatever kind of storytelling or if they just yeah were completely independent.
2: Yeah, no, there was a bit of a storytelling element in there. But, you know, it's it's tricky because, you know, I was doing CG artwork and, you know, I was trying to make like a big cast of characters, but, you know, it, it takes a very long time to even just make one character model in CG, especially when you have to rig it and animate it, texture it and model it like it can take like a full two weeks just to make one single character. And so I, I quickly realized, wow, if I need to build an entire world, um, and it takes two weeks to build a single character, this is going to take a very long time. You know, it might take as long as, uh, Tolkien took to create Middle Earth, which I think is like decades. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I was. I was I was on that path to create my very own legendarium in a very slow and laborious way. Um, but then, yeah, fast forward, we found a a much quicker way to build a world, which is uh, if you just decentralize the the world building process.
1: Yeah, and when Dota came um, with the idea of 10K characters, is that the reason that it is too complex to to have these uh, yeah complex persons? That you now have these persons in in this pixel art
2: i'm not I'm not sure I understand the question
1: uh, you were you were telling that the um the first character from you this legendarian uh, person was very complicated and you took uh, two weeks to to rig it all up and uh, now then uh, daughter came with the idea of creating ten k characters. And as we know them from today, or as we see them here, our listeners can't see that. But on the shirt of of Tabita, who is in this room, we we see this pixel graphic, and it's far more easy than a complex three D model. So was was that the reason that you said, okay, daughter, great idea, ten K characters, we do it, but we will do it in a very
2: very easy way? Right. Well, so yeah, let me, let me back up a little bit. So so this we we launched the collection last June. I think it was June of twenty twenty one. You know, and at that time, this this idea of a 10k collection was like just starting. There was, you know, I don't know how many, maybe a hundred other other 10k collections out there. Most notable at that time being CryptoPunks. I think Bored Apes had just launched.
3: Yeah, around yeah. the same time.
2: Yeah, it was it was sort of a movement in the NFT space, like create a collection of 10,000 uh, comp- like generated characters with. You, know, you get an artist to create all the parts, and then you build a generator to mix them all up, and you get 10,000 characters. Um, so we, you know, we were just like, let's do that. And you know, we didn't really know what theme we wanted to use, so we started brainstorming, and, and I immediately wanted to do Wizards um, because I love the fantasy genre, and it lent itself to world building, and the fantasy genre is just very rich in content. So yeah, and, and then we chose pixel characters because, well, for several reasons, actually. Yeah. Number one, they are fairly quick to make. So it, it, it scales pretty quickly. Your, your production does. Number two, from, from a technical perspective, pixel characters are very uh, small in file size. So Dota was able to actually put all of the artwork on chain because the file size was so small you know a lot of a lot of nft artwork is actually not on chain it's just the contract yeah. is but but our pixel characters are actually on chain just because the the file sizes are so small they c- they can fit easily thirdly i think that pixelized characters because they are so Low in visual information, there, there's not a lot of visual information. Uh, I, for me, that allows the viewer's imagination to really step in and fill in all the details. For me, like like a pixelized, a, a low information piece of pixel artwork is, uh, it just it just stimulates the imagination more than like a really high res detailed illustration. Those are a few of the reasons why we chose pixel artwork. I'm not sure if that was the, an, an answer to your question though. <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I love the the three D models and all the artwork we can see. There's so much in creation for the Forgotten Runes universe, Runiverse, uh, to say it in the right manner. Oh, yeah, yeah,
3: <laughs> Runiverse is coming. But yeah. yeah. There's a lot of content production by the fans, which you can see on Twitter, Instagram, yeah, everywhere. Which is kind of amazing for me to see as a participant of the, of this project, so to say, as a as a fan. Uh, that there's such a big variety in what people create.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, I've been a little bit late for for that, uh, but uh, fortunately there are the uh, forgotten babies orphanage um, solutions where I adopted three of them, <laughs> so I'm a little bit late for a real forgotten rune. But I'm listening to Chris or Tabita whenever he/she is uh, talking about the forgotten runes, and there are so many great things going on. And uh, I wanted to ask whether this is um, a good solution for you to have that in that decentralized way so you were starting at the universe where you met you both started i think maybe you were sitting in the same room and working on this idea but at the end now you see a whole world which is maybe even bigger than you ever have imagined and you are not part of every idea which is going on there on twitter as i mentioned these 3d models and all these things and as far as i see from chris and Tabitha's point of view it's very easy to create something which is built up on your intellectual property so is it a very good idea for you and do you enjoy this decentralized creation process or is it hard to to keep everything together
2: no so so this is this is exactly the sort of thing we wanted to happen we we designed for this this idea of the community actively creating and building the world with us. We didn't want it to be a top down world building process. We wanted it to sort of be bottom up, decentralized. Um, you know, so if you look at like something like Middle earth or uh, Westeros from Game of Thrones or, um, the Star Wars galaxy, you know, all of these worlds were created by solo geniuses at the top, you know, and they, they, they took a lifetime to build these worlds and then they, you know, like Star Wars eventually expanded into a gigantic studio where the employees were just paid a salary to create for George Lucas's project. But, but yeah, we wanted to disrupt that. We wanted to subvert that model. You know, the employees that are working on the Star Wars galaxy, they don't own any of the content that they work on. They just, you know, like, like I said, they get a salary and then, and then they, they work on it. But at the end, like now, Disney owns all of that but we wanted to say no if you buy a wizard character number 1 you own that character legally aesthetically in every way possible that character is yours and we want you to build that character up as if as if this were like some giant game of dungeons and dragons you you build up your character we we want you to fully feel ownership of it and you know build up its its legendary stat in any way you can and so you know, one of the things we did to make to help facilitate this was we uh, released this digital book called The Book of Lore. And it's this, this book on our website and uh, you open it up and if you have a wizard in your crypto wallet, you can create a lore entry in that book. So it's been working and we've got about, I think, 1800 lore entries so far. People, they, they write stories about their wizard, they make animations, they make art, they make music, they make poetry. Just about every media expression you can imagine people have done for their wizards. So, you know, like you mentioned, they, they also put them on Twitter, they put them in Discord, and so, and so every time somebody creates one of these, these lore expressions, the, the world just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, yeah, and so instead of a single authority at the top building a world, it's an entire community just adding to this world every second of every day all over the world. And I think the difference is the the reason that this is working is because of blockchain technology. You couldn't really feel ownership of a character until NFTs, until blockchain. So, you know, th- that's, that's one reason why I think it's different. It's just, there, it's a totally different incentive structure. I guess that, I hope that answers your question.
1: <laughs> yeah. And did you came one time or more often to a point where you said, okay, the quality of the law is not what I wanted to have there. Or is it just, I don't think about it. It's just variety of creativity and that's it.
2: You know, I almost never look at someone's content and think I don't want that in in our universe (laughs) okay I've loved all of it to be honest you know it's for me like number one it's skill level or artistic talent really isn't that important you know a lot of times I think like skill or talent can often hinder creativity or block creativity it's even very talented artists people who draw well, sometimes they will lean into that and c- draw something very unoriginal. And so, you know, what's the point? What's the point of talent if you're not actually saying anything interesting? To me, it's more about saying something interesting or 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 even further than that, saying something that is unique and true to you. I don't think you necessarily need skill or talent to do that. Yeah. So w- we see a lot of like really like, I guess you could say crappy Photoshop memes, but it doesn't matter if they're like this person has very low knowledge in Photoshop. If the meme is funny, if it's getting across the point, if it's saying something pertinent or or truthful or or relevant, then then it's done its job. The point is, is like, quality isn't necessarily important. Just as long it's like as it's just genuine, uh, sincere content, then I, I think it's great.
3: I think also. What, what i see in, in, in other uh, nft projects the core is is basically the the community that is building up the whole thing other other projects also have have great uh, content contribution by the owners of the the nft and i think that that is different to the time before web3 where you could be in a community but kind of a different feeling to uh, of of belonging if if you actually own part of that and you really build toward it doesn't matter if that is 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 a forgotten runes wizard or if that is a nft world project where yeah you're you're just part of this community even though the community comparatively is is relatively small yeah if you have you only have 2500 wizard holders compared to 8 billion people but still, it's a different kind of belonging, and it's it's spreading. I know a lot of people who want to want to be part of that community by owning a wizard, and yeah. So I think that's different from what we have seen before in the in the past thirty years or yeah, twenty five years in, in Web two.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting because you know I, I guess the corollary to you know what was before would be something like fan fiction or fan art. That's, that's been a thing for a very long time. The biggest difference is like the the people creating fan fiction for, I don't know, like again, Star Wars or Harry Potter, you know, you could potentially get served a DMCA if you tried to monetize any of that fan art. You could potentially get sued. Fan art was always sort of looked down upon, I think, by like the corporations who own that content. But, you know, we say, you know, what happens if, If the very foundation of your project is built on that so-called fan art, what if what if you start with the fan art instead of it being like a side effect after the the franchise gets big? That's the biggest difference, I think. And so far, it's been really, really amazing. It's just it's been it's been almost like a a renaissance in our project, at least just just the total explosion of creativity and content that we've been seeing
3: yeah no, not only that I would say, if I look at other projects by musicians or other artists, it kind of gives independence to artists, and that they they start to feel that. Uh, I, I hear a lot of uh, spaces or um, participate in a lot of spaces from musicians who say okay they, they they finally see a chance to to yeah not get rid of but get independent from these big music corporations who may sign you as a label, but then you're kind of yeah constricted in what you can do what you want you have to deliver and if they say okay i'll sell uh, nfts of my art of my music and and my community around and that is enough but it gives me freedom and it gives me the the uh, financial independence that i need to be this artist i think that is also a part also to be seen in here i mean um, also in the the forgotten runes world we see more and more artists who who sell their work we just had this great painting of the wizards council that was sold as nfts so this this independence this movement i think that is a big chance and i personally hope that the the big corporations don't step in too quickly and uh kill it off (laughs) yeah i think that's the big challenge i see but that's also part of the subject you wanted to talk about of the decentralized content creation and the media
2: yeah, I love the uh, the freedom and the independence that NFTs have given a lot of artists. As far as the corporation stepping in, you know, this, this is interesting. So this is where sort of Magic Machine, our company that, that built Forgotten Runes, this is sort of where we see our role fitting in as like sort of like a centralized authority, but, you know, not one that ever hinders creativity or, or blocks it, but one that actually just facilitates it. And so, you know, one thing that we are doing is, you know, while our community is busy creating content and just being super creative, we are going out to the studios in Hollywood and bringing forgotten runes into the studio system, making these larger media expressions with the wizards. And so. So far, we've got a full minute and a half sort of animated trailer that's going to be coming out in the next few weeks. It's already done. We just, we're, we're strategizing when and where to drop it. And it's, it's a full, like, professional studio quality piece of animation i mean it looks like it belongs on a movie screen it's so good i can't wait for people to see it i can't wait either yeah (laughs) me too yeah and and the beautiful thing of it is is a lot of the the scenes in this trailer are directly inspired by things that our uh community has done and so they have sort of played a, a real active role in its creation we've also got a uh full comic book actually being physically printed. Great. Yeah. And again, one or two of the stories in it is inspired by things that our community has written. And then, of course, we've got the Forgotten Runeiverse video game coming out, which is a metaverse video game. It's um, You'll be able to use your wizard in the game. If you don't have a wizard, you will still be able to play it as more of a, I guess, sort of generic character. But the point being is, yeah, we as Magic Machine is is talking every day to people in Hollywood trying to get into these larger media expressions. But, you know, instead of instead of all of this content being top down, it's heavily inspired by everything that our community is doing. So, you know, that's our relationship we see with our sort of audience, which is you all are active participants in the the creation of this content. You know, you will see the characters that you own on screen, in print, in video games. You know, to me, that's really fun and amazing.
1: And it's coming from all over the world. But at the end, the last project, so if you're talking about um, going to Hollywood, then the the last organization is not decentralized. This is, again, centralized by, by you, for example.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. I like to describe it as just sort of an ebb and flow, a back and forth between the cult and Magic Machine you know, it's, it's always just going to be a back and forth. You know, we, we will look yeah. at the lower entries. We will look at the work that you put on Twitter. We'll look at what you're doing on discord and, and we will just, you know, pick and choose what we think is cool and then feed it back into these larger media expressions. And then when one of those expressions comes out, it'll inspire something, it'll inspire the cult to do something. And, the, and then we'll pull back from the cult and, and we just hope it, it'll be this, this free flow of, creativity from top to bottom top to bottom or or just left to right left to right you know but yeah i mean it's quite different from the way studios have done done things in the past
3: yeah i I personally don't think that decentralization and centralization should be exclusive Uh, centralization is not an evil thing it can have good things uh, at creatokia i mean after all this is a creatokia podcast we are a bit of, yeah, we are a centralized organization. We want to be a platform or our platform for publishers and authors to, to publish their books. Within this year, we will start the, the self-publishing to open that up. And so we are there to support. But then you at the end, sometimes you need the centralized organization to organize things in a centralized world. That That's just how it is. And I think… It will take some time before an organization like Netflix becomes decentralized. So yeah. kind of depending on, on that too.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Conversely, I would also say, you know, decentralization doesn't always mean good. It, you know, you don't want to decentralize every single little component of a, of a project. You know, I, th- I think the most successful blockchain companies at least will be those who are able to do a really healthy, functionable Hybrid of centralization and decentralization. You got to be smart about which components you centralize and decentralize.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're working on that. <laughs> what, what's fascinating for me is uh, to see with your project, for example, that you are putting out these wizards and the whole storytelling is based up on these, yeah, on, on these wizards. And for our listeners, it's the way around. We are a platform for publishers and authors. So the story comes first. And then you can think about what do you want to put or add to your NFT and what is desirable for the fans, be it uh, profile pics, be it unlockables, be it a community event or whatever. Do you have any learnings where maybe our listeners can participate from your learnings? Um, what, what is a good idea for publishers and authors? Meaning of, yeah, publishing on the blockchain.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because every day we see new, exciting innovations happening in this space. You know, when, when one project releases a new mechanic, a new tokenomic, a new innovation, you know, I personally never want my first reaction to be, oh, I want to copy that. You know, we always want to innovate and create on our own and, and just do whatever works best for our own project. The best advice I guess I could give to anyone is just like stay true to your own vision. Don't, don't necessarily try to just copy success. Just trailblaze yourself. There's, there's so much left to explore. I would almost say like the best stuff hasn't even been created yet because yeah, I mean, it's just, there's no way that the most Creative, innovative thing has, has already been done. This space is, is brand new. It's like a year old, if that. So yeah, I mean, NFTs and blockchain, what, what I've come to realize are their own unique storytelling medium. There's so many ways to build a world and to tell stories with just the collection itself and just the, the tokenomics and just the mechanics. That stuff alone, it has a lot of storytelling potential. So. You know, like we did a token burn, where we released these tokens called the Sacred Flame. And if you were lucky enough to receive a Sacred Flame, then you could use that to burn a wizard and you would get a soul wizard in return. And we didn't really, like, release a lot of, like, written storytelling around it. We just said, here's what it is and here's what it does. And then, and then of course there was the NFTs themselves, like the, you know, the, the art behind them and the names of the, the soul characters. And when you give that information, like that alone is enough to tell a story that, you know, our our whole community just took that and like built a story around it and. You know, I guess if I'm answering your question, I think it's just the best thing to do is just 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 create stuff and drop it and see what happens and just like don't follow what any other project is doing. Just just make your own thing. And if, if it if it's cool and if it functions, then I think it'll be a success.
1: I love the idea of your book of lore and all we're thinking about is this a possibility to add something to Kreatokia where people are co-working on stories and adding uh, paragraphs per paragraphs and everybody who has a token or whatever can write something there um, to create a bigger story than one by itself cannot write. But it's another idea. So the the first goal of Creatokia is opening the possibilities of publishing and NFT and blockchain scenarios where normally you have some standard publishing products like books, like audiobooks. So we are always looking for good ideas for our publishers and authors. What can you add to these products? Because a a classic uh, ebook is nothing you can put on the blockchain and this will be I think this will be a failure. So um, you have to add some some more storytelling, some benefits to, to these products. So do you think uh, you will open up one of these projects you were talking about, like the comic book or the book of lore and create a product out of it by itself to put it back on the blockchain as, for example, a book with special features or whatever?
2: Well the book of lore is on the blockchain it's it's on chain. Yeah. You know, we may do a printed version of it in some form or another eventually. We are actually talking to book publishers right now. So yeah, I mean maybe you know maybe even we do like a yearly book physical book of lore that just collects all the lore entries for that year. I don't know, I'm just sort of brainstorming right now. But yeah, and then the physical comic book, I'm not sure if we will put that on chain. I do know that we are doing, so we're doing the the printed book, but then we're doing alternate covers for the book that will be available as a free NFT. You know, our thinking behind that is really, you know, the the point of the comic book and the show and the game is is really to just sort of expand to a wider audience, an audience that may not know anything about crypto at all. And so, if we can get the comic book into the hands of non-crypto people and then in the back there are very clear instructions on how to get your first NFT, which is an alternate cover of the of this book. I think that's sort of sort of one of the goals of of the comic, just to really introduce NFTs to a non-crypto audience.
1: Yeah, great idea. Yeah. And again, we are doing it the opposite, uh, the opposite way, having books upfront. So people who has no idea about NFTs and we try to get people into the NFT area, but NFT is just the. The technical solution for what we are doing so
2: very cool yeah
1: that's awesome so the community is is one of the biggest parts of any nft project i can think about and what i see for the forgotten runes it's so big so how is that for you the community building how is it started and when did you yeah maybe change uh, things to have community members there who are doing things that this is managed for you
2: yeah, it, that was honestly the, probably the trickiest part for both Dota and I because I've never managed a community. You know, I've I've always just been an artist and Dota is a coder, programmer, and we both just had to sort of stumble into community man- management and figure it out as we were working. But it's So far, so good. You know, our community is actually very healthy. It's very, there's a lot of goodwill and kindness and generosity flowing through our community. That has gone a long way. They're all very friendly. They're all very helpful. To me, I I think maybe one of the, the reasons that our community is so healthy is because we all have a mission. We're all focused on a purpose. We've got a lot of like cultural, I guess, signifiers or cultural artifacts within our community. Um, like we've got mottos, we've got memes, we've got guilds, we've got sub-communities. You know, a phrase that we say a lot is lore not floor. That was actually coined by one of our community members, uh, Magus Wazir, who's a legend in his own right. <laughs> and basically, what it means is you know, unlike a lot of other nFT projects where they they focus a lot on the floor price of of yeah. the tokens, we don't focus a lot on the floor price or or really any of the financialization. we focus on the lore, uh, which is to say we focus on the art and the stories and the narrative and the aesthetics and the culture
1: and the floor price will will come from from its own from yeah from natural
2: yeah, floor follows lore great yeah that has really gone a long way into really just boosting the, the creative uh, impulses of our community. You know, another phrase we have is put your rune on the door. What that means is, it means sort of put your mark on the world, speak your truth, let the world know who you are, because you're a wizard. You've got magic inside you. That magic comes in the form of speaking your truth through your creativity. And and what's fascinating as the uh, as the metaverse itself expands, I anticipate that our wizards will travel far and wide across the metaverse, putting their runes on every door there is. And, you know, through their travels, their legend stats will increase and they will bring their stories back and they will inscribe them into the book of lore. And you know, it's it's that purpose that I think re- that has really kept our community very healthy, kept our community invigorated. And it's just yeah, it's just you, you gotta give your community a purpose, I think, is what really keeps them keeps them going and, and expanding and very healthy.
1: Yeah. Sounds like uh, your your community members can be proud to be a, a wizard, yeah. Yep,
2: yeah, exactly. They are.
1: They yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> I see day by day, yeah. yeah. Great. Do you have some times where you think you have to to exit this real world or the fake world or whatever is real and fake for you? Do you have to shut down your mobile or whatever in the evening or on a weekend or wherever?
2: I mean, a vacation would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, this has been like the most fun project slash career path I think I've I I know that I've ever been on. I mean, I wake every morning absolutely loving what we're doing. It's been a dream because, you know, I, I as a kid, I was very much into the fantasy genre. I was a huge Tolkien fan. You know, I was really into like Greek mythology or just all kinds of mythology. I read books on this stuff constantly. And so being able to collect all of that knowledge and put it into one project has just been it's sort of my life's work <laughs> and so no i i mean i i love working on this and, and i i don't ever really want to stop working on it you know as, as far as like exiting the real world or the fantasy world i think every day we merge these two worlds a little bit closer you know that's one of the things i want to do with the runiverse is just parallel show the parallels between the runeverse. actually Here's how I like to say it: Show the parallels between metaspace and meat space. Yeah, and you know, every everything I I do for the Runiverse, I try to let it be inspired by what's happening in the real world. When we say you are your wizard, we literally mean that. We mean it literally. You are literally a wizard. You can. You are literally capable of magic. You know, the the best way to write lore is just to write lore that's inspired by your own life. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean it's this has become a lifestyle. It's 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 a cult.
1: great yeah so- sounds very 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 good and the same for me as as i've started here with kreatokia uh, and i'm a collector of uh, a lot of things uh, mostly music stuff vinyl records so mixing up my my careers uh, upfront from digital agencies here now with uh, the collecting dna it's great
2: it's really great when you can blur the line between art and life and make them just become one and the same and indistinguishable from each other
1: yeah so I'm looking really forward for whatever is coming. So we have had some news from you for the comic, for example, and from Hollywood and a lot of other very inspiring things. Maybe even inspiring for our listeners from, from publishing and from um, the authors to, to do things, publish them on Tokyo on the blockchain and have great ideas what you can do with these things. And uh, maybe to to add some possibilities for participation with your NFT um, holders uh, at the end and i really like what you are doing here unfortunately you always don't have the time for all these projects i have seen so many projects since i'm into nft and um, i i'm lucky enough to see um, the world of the forgotten runes through the eyes of tabita from time to time with chris here in our team
2: <laughs> yeah yeah tabitha is a, a very active and very legendary wizard in her own right uh, we love having tabitha <laughs> yeah she she read uh some really great lore a few weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, I, I love seeing Tabitha's creative output.
1: Great, and all these these stories, the law, the book of law. So, if you are looking for a partner for for your publishing questions to do some advertising here, maybe um, one day we will find together another time for a podcast, or maybe for something we can do on Krea Tokyo on the island of Krea Tokyo. I would love to have a wizard on the island.
2: Oh yeah, no, that sounds great. Yeah, we've uh, yeah. we've we've got so many publishing ideas beyond the comic, um, and we're always looking for new publishers. So I think that sounds very cool.
3: Yeah, great. I'm, I'm sure uh, we have a lot of contacts here. <laughs> as the as the parent,
2: you guys are in Germany, is that
3: right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tokyo is in Germany. Uh, Bookwire, the the parent company, so to say, is also in Germany, but also has offices in Barcelona, UK. I think New York as well, right? So uh, that that's more worldwide. In in Germany, they're one of the largest digital publishing. They are not publishers, but it's uh, in between. If you, whenever you buy a book on on Kindle, then uh, it it went through uh, uh, Bookwire, so to say, so and they the buyers, started yeah. that in in two thousand eight, I believe, when it was very new to have a Kindle and digital publishing and ebook and so on. And uh, yeah, that was their first vision. And last year, the founders uh, said we have another vision. We heard about these NFTs, and that's great for the publishing world. Authors can finally be more free, can create more interesting and exciting works and even yeah maybe have ch- characters out of their books and sell them in, as nfts and create worlds around the book yeah so and out of that came the the idea to to create a platform for publishers In the NFT space, yeah.
1: And in the moment, we are located here in Frankfurt, in Germany. But uh, in the in the upcoming year, we have some events like the NFT NYC or the London Book Fair in the next week, or some other events where maybe we can meet and greet.
2: Yeah, very cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I I think we're going to be at uh, NFT NYC. Great.
0: Great. I am. I am. Yeah. Great. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to (laughs) do that. Awesome. Very cool. Well, guys. I mean I have been uh, I've been listening quietly in the background and it's been fascinating and, and and I wanted to thank you so much for your time Alf it's been really really great to have you I really trying to think of anything I can do to summarize but I mean I think what you said about kind of, well, you, if you're on the creative side, you know, be true to yourself and, and speak your truth. I think be it's a really, wizard. <laughs> be a wizard. I mean, there are so many technical things to think of. There are so many strategic things to think of, but also when you're know, trying to really be creative, you have to just kind of not look too much around your shoulder as well and think whatever everyone else is doing. So that's obvious, but it's really important not to forget. So it's been really inspiring. Thank you for your time and um, we've loved having you
2: yeah thank you for the invite it's been great and um maybe i'll see you guys at nft nyc sounds,
1: Hope so yeah sounds yeah. great Th- thank you
0: awesome take care See you wednesday <laughs> <laughs> bye take care that was just fascinating i think what a treat to have elf on the on the show with us right yeah, I'm more
1: in love with the Wizards and more uh, <laughs> looking forward to one day, maybe on one.
0: <laughs> exactly. We should just say that this is, for now, this is the final episode of our second series. And I mean, just to recap, we've had so many interesting guests on the season. Many of those, I mean, each have had their own unique perspective on NFTs, whether it's been from a legal perspective. From the art. Yeah, Galleries
1: like Misa Art, for yeah, example. Right. Or this PR guy or last week diving deep into marketing yeah
0: so it's been like a really great toolbox which hopefully um listeners you know if they're really thinking seriously about nfts they can take away some really really useful actions as well as hopefully be inspired about people's stories so that's great and also i mean the second thing is that we've been able to introduce our listeners to cryptokia uh, and to youcasting as as general platform manager but there are many more things to come with cryptokia right
1: Yeah, and this is just a great opportunity for me to start in this year with this podcast episodes, which were running from the last year. So it's a steep learning curve for me as well from all these participants from the podcast episodes from the last weeks. And um, if we're ending here with the second season, this is not the end. Um, we will go on with the third season, I think. Um exactly. But we have to reorganize some things. And uh, as we mentioned, we have big big steps on our roadmap. Like, for example, adding at least one po- uh, polygon, one uh, additional blockchain with polygon. Right. And uh, adding some more flexibility within the smart contracts and the products so that we can open the platform for uh, publishers and authors to create very flexible the project projects and product they want to publish on create Tokyo.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there's so so much more to come, right? We've just got started, yeah. really? Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I think I just want to say a final thank you to uh, thank you, Carson to you uh, for being a uh, part of the last few podcasts. It's been great to have you as a kind of regular co host in a way. And also thank you now to all of our listeners, because without you, uh, we would just be talking into thin air. So it's been a real pleasure. Uh, to put this show on for you uh season two thank you all for tuning in and thank you for your valuable feedback i think we should when we do season three we should definitely do some more um picking out some q a from uh from the discord channel but as always please keep following us on dot on the discord channel social media linkedin and anywhere else carsten have i missed something
1: no, um, I have missed something. I have to say thank you to to you, Vidal, and uh, f- for sure for our listeners at our listeners uh, who are listening to the podcast episodes. But uh, thanks a lot for your for you moderating this, Vidal.
0: Been total pleasure. It's been great. I've lo- I've learnt a lot. So um, well, thanks everyone. We'll see you on the other side, season three. Stay tuned. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.